listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. Expressions and interpretations, but what unity means, what it means to become one, it means that we are connected with a bond, that there's something, a bond that brings us connection. It also means that together we are all committed to a cause, that we come together, we see something, and we're mutually committed to it. But the biggest thing that unity means when Jesus prayed this prayer is that it comes through relationships. Unity comes, connection comes through relationship. In other words, you and I can never truly be one without something relational bringing us together. We learn that God is a relational God. We learn that everything about God has to do with relationship. We see this scripture and we see this picture in in the story of God, of God the Father and of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus the Son and how the three of them all are one and yet there's relationship constantly taking place between the three of them. God the Father sending his son to earth to be a part of our lives, to bring God close so that we could know him. Jesus leaving the earth so that he could send his Holy Spirit to come and remain and be with us. Relationship, relationship, relationship. God is modeling for us that true unity, that true oneness comes from having a relationship with each other, from being connected to each other. In the book of John chapter one, we we read these opening words about Christ from last week. It said about Jesus, but to all who believed him, who believed Jesus and accepted him, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth that is result from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. We see in this, in this short snippet of scripture that Jesus truly came to bring us back into the family. That Jesus truly came so that we could know God as Father, as Daddy, intimate, to come to God, the creator of this universe, and call him Daddy. We learned that there is a a story that we all relate to, that every single one of us can trace our ancestry and our history and our roots all the way back to the very beginning And at the beginning was a family. There was a man and a woman and God. And the Bible says in the book of Genesis that Adam and Eve walked with God every day. And they heard him and they talked with him and they experienced this relational dynamic, this intimacy. In other words, Adam and Eve and God were one. There was nothing between them. And Jesus came because that oneness that we all experienced was fractured, it was torn apart, it was broken, and Jesus came to restore and repair what was busted. Jesus came so that we could be one again. And so in the beginning, we realized we were one. We were one with our Father, that we were one with each other. And that's the heart of God. That's what he desires. When God sees humanity and when God sees those pictures that we just watched in that, in that video of all of the war and all of the devastation and all of the tragedy and all of the injustice, when God looks at those images all over our world, our planet, and sees it, 
He says, it was never supposed to be this way. This is not what I had in mind when I created it. This is not what I said was perfect and good. This is so far off course. We got to get it back. We got to bring it back. So tonight, we pick up right there where we leave off from last week. Talking about this story of God, our Father, and family, and being one. Tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit in depth about what does it look like to be a part of the family of God? What does it look like to be a child of God? What does God think when he calls us children? In the book of Matthew, chapter 12, we see a very interesting encounter with Jesus. He has just gotten done teaching, preaching this lengthy message and talking to this group of people, much like tonight. And in this group of people, there's all kinds of different backgrounds. There's religious people and non-religious people. He's talking to a mixed group of people here, and he's telling them some really important things. And at the end of it, somebody comes walking up to Jesus. And in verse number 46, it says, As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside to speak with him. Someone came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to speak to you. But Jesus asked him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he pointed to his disciples and he said, look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Anyone who does the will of my Father is my family. It's very interesting that Jesus used this opportunity to say these words. Because I believe that what we have here, what we have in our possession of Jesus' words, which we know they're not all of it. The Bible even says that there's no way that they could have wrote all the things that Jesus said. That there would be volumes of books. All we have is a snippet of what Jesus says. And so when I see something like this that Jesus says, I take it really, really seriously because it's important to us. And Jesus uses this moment to bring some black and white parameters and some clarification to our earthly way of seeing things. He uses this opportunity to help us see something that you and I don't normally see when we look around the world. When we look at our life, we normally don't see these things. We we look at our brothers and our sisters and our mom and our dad, and and this is our kin, this is our blood, this is our earthly relationship, and this is close to our hearts. How many of you have ever used the phrase, blood is thicker than water? We all understand the bond of family and to come from the same family, and Jesus understood that. Jesus understood how deeply we feel about family, and knowing how deeply you and I feel about it, Jesus crosses that line and he says, but I'm going to tell you something that is even more intimate and powerful. There is a connection available for you that is even deeper than your blood. There is a relationship that you can experience with God that is even deeper bonding than mother and son. 
it is deeper and it is stronger and it is more powerful. Jesus is cutting to our heart of the things that we hold on to. How many of you here are a mama's boy? Come on now, or daddy's girl. I mean, he's cutting to our heart right now. He's saying, you love your family so much. God wants even more than what you've experienced. Jesus uses this opportunity to talk about a family that is unseen, a family that is invisible, that you can't just see by walking around. You can't just walk around and just know, well, this person understands God and has a relationship. It's, it's this unseen family. And yet, this family is known for something. The family of God is known for something. I'm going to ask you something tonight. Here on this earth, we all come from a family. We all come from a history. We all have a dynamic that we were raised with. What was your family known for? What is your family known for? When you think of your family, was it a healthy environment where you wanted to be at home? Or was it an abusive environment where you couldn't stand to be at home? You needed to get out. Was it a controlling, is it a controlling environment where somebody's always got to be in control no matter what? Is it in an environment where there's forgiveness given and received? Is your family, the family that you know, does it talk? Is there communication? Or is it, shh, we don't really want to talk. We don't want to let stuff out. We just want to keep it undercover. What is your family known for? Because whatever your family is known for, when you think of the family of God, you bring that with you. You don't leave it behind. It's a part of you. It's a part of who you are tonight. And when you think of the family of God and then you think of your home, my friends, we're about to learn that they have nothing to do with each other. Jesus talks about this in this short little passage from a way that he says to us, my family has values, family values, things that we honor, things that we think are important. And then he says it. He says, we obey the will of our Father. And he says, anyone who obeys God's will is my mother and my brother and my sister. There is a bond between us that is deeper than even earthly blood. Jesus says, I've come to completely change everything that you know about planet Earth and everything that goes with it. In the book of 1 John, we find out that there is more to our family than we maybe even realize. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. He says this 
is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, then we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, then God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. These are some powerful words. These are some life-changing words. It says here that when we love each other, that it is proof that God lives in us. He says that in order for us to fully understand the expression of God's love, it's got to come through us. In other words, there's a lot of people here who says, I've felt God's love. There's a lot of us sitting here tonight who said, I, I have sat in a church service before where I have felt God's love. That's good. But do you know what this says? This says that you can't fully experience God's love unless it comes through you or me. That God's full expression, the whole deal, can only come through us. Wow. See, in this scripture here, we see something that truly defines our family. Something that when you look out, you can see it, and it's tangible, and it's obvious. Do you know what it is? It's not just love. Our family is marked by God's preemptive love. It's the kind of love that says, I am going to go first. It's the love that says, I'm not going to wait until everything's okay and then show love. It's not the kind of love that says, I'm going to show love to those that deserve it or those that, that show me that they're serious. It's the kind of love that says, I'm going to go first and I don't care who you are. I'm going to love recklessly. I'm going to love with reckless abandon. I don't care who you are. You're going to get run over by a love train because I'm going everywhere and I don't care whether you're ready for it or not. It's indiscriminate and it's preemptive. It goes first and there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it on this earth. There's nothing like it that we have seen. We go first. We don't wait. We don't wait. Now that's hard for you and me. At least it's hard for me. Maybe not for you. But for me, it's easy to love when I'm being loved just the truth. It's easy for me to reciprocate to somebody that I know likes me. It's easy for me to put myself in an uncomfortable situation and get in somebody else's space as long as I don't feel threatened, as long as I don't feel like they're not going to get it or they're going to take it wrong. It's hard for me to go first without knowing what's going to come next. It's hard for me to just love without thinking of what might happen. See, our family 
has been changed. When we come to God and we say, God, I believe the message that Christ came with. I believe that he told me about a father that wants me, even though I look at myself and I see nothing worth wanting. I believe that, God, there is something in your message that's truth. And he comes in and he embodies us and he begins to change us from the inside out. We become connected. We become connected because we share the same story of being lost to being found, of being an orphan and being adopted into the family. We share something that is deep and something that is common. And after we have that commonality, God says in his prayer, Jesus says, make them one. There's a letter that was written to a church. This church had some things going on in it that were taking their focus and misplacing it. This church had somehow taken this concept that freely you had received the grace of Jesus and you didn't do anything to earn it and you didn't do anything to make it good or to make it worth about you because you had nothing to contribute to it. It was completely unearned and God poured it on you lavishly. They had taken that simple message and that simple truth and they had complicated it with religious rules and laws and they were trying to say that now that I'm a Christian, now that I believe the message of grace, now in order to maintain it, I've got to do this and this and this. My life needs to now change and I've got to begin to get some things straight and in order to maintain my salvation, I've got to get with the program. And this writer, he addresses this. And he says, you know what? Your family isn't supposed to be known for keeping all the rules. Your family isn't supposed to be known for not having any problems or for having everything in your life absolutely perfect. That's not what Christians and followers of Christ should be known for. You know what you should be known for? He says it right here in verse 1 of chapter 6 in Galatians. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, then you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. And here it is in verse 2. He says, Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. He says, if you think you're too important to help somebody, then you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest whatever you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, they will harvest decay and death from that very sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit 
will harvest everlasting life from the, heart, from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good, for at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And finally, it says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. It says that when people look at us in the family of faith, we should be known for the ones who pick up the fallen ones. We should be known for the ones who gently restore people when they've gotten lost. We should be the ones who are known for sharing each other's burdens. We should be the ones who don't leave anybody behind. When the family of God is put on display, there is a love that goes first. It doesn't wait to be loved first. It goes first and it loves indiscriminately. It's preemptive. And the family of God shares one another's burdens. We've been going through this Bible study together on Wednesday nights. And in this Bible study, it's been talking about this concept of hiding, not being able to be real. About how each one of us has unresolved issues in our life. And as a result of these unresolved issues, it makes us insecure. And because we don't know where everything fits, we feel this insecurity, we instinctively fear that people aren't going to get me. They're not going to understand me. They're not going to love me. And so our reaction is to put on a mask. We put on this mask that we wear so well because when I have a mask on, you can't really see my insecurities and my fears. I can wear this mask beautifully for everybody. But there's some real big problems with these masks that we wear. The first problem is that I never really get to know you and you never really get to know me. And at a deeper level, you can never truly love me because all that you love is my mask. And the only one that gets to feel your love the mask. I never get it. And so I have this deep longing inside to be loved because I never get to feel real love because I've got something between us. It's a big deal and we all share it. We all know that feeling. But as we've been going through Scripture and we've been unearthing this truth of getting real and getting honest, we've found out there's something that gives us comfort and gives us courage and gives us the ability to take this mask off. And that comfort and that security and that courage comes through me showing you grace. Through me showing you through my life that I have issues too and that I am not here to fix you. My goal in life is not to make you okay. 
I can't even make me okay, so you're on your own. I can't do that for you. I love you. I wish I could. But every one of us has to deal with our own stuff between us and God. And when that environment of grace begins to happen, all of a sudden, we're ripping our masks off because we're free to be who we really are. We're free to talk how I really feel. We're free to express ourselves in all of our fears and emotions and all of the things that are way down deep inside that we shove down. We're all of a sudden able to get free. Why? Because of grace. Because we are in a room of grace together. And in this room of grace, I don't judge you and you better the hell not judge me. This is the room of grace where we all come to God as we are. And in this room of grace, we can come along inside each other. And in this room of grace, I can look you in the eye and I can say with all of my heart that I am committed to walk through this life with you no matter what comes. I'm committed to walk through life with you. I'm not committed to fix you. I'm not committed to tell you what to do. I'm not committed to you try to be perfect, but I'm committed to you. And together, as we go together through life, we share each other's burdens. We get to share each other's burdens. In this passage here, it's very interesting that, that the author talks about the justice of God. He says, don't be an idiot. You can't outsmart God. God's justice is serious and it's legit and it is real. And whatever you harvest or whatever you plant, you can guarantee that's what you're going to harvest in your life. Nobody gets away from that. Whatever you put in the ground and it gets water and sunlight, it's going to grow. You harvest what you plant. It is no accident that he puts that statement right in the middle of this conversation to this church, to us tonight. And he says, share each other's burdens. Pick each other up when you fall. Be the ones that exemplify grace. And whatever you plant, you're going to harvest. In other words, what you need the most is that same grace. What you need in your life the most religious person who thinks that you know everything about God because you can quote some scripture, the thing that you need the most is the same thing that I need in my addiction and brokenness. And if you think that you can put on a front and you can act holier than thou and you can judge me, you're gonna have to reap what you sow. The justice of God is real. So mercy, plant grace, pour it into the ground so that you can reap it on your own life. God needs for his family to fulfill this role in the earth. We are the grace givers. We are the ones who deserved God's wrath and fury. We were the ones who told him I don't want what you've got. We were the ones that deserved all of the judgment. And he said, no, I'm going to give you my mercy and grace. And then you carry it to the ends of the earth. And those pictures that we saw of those children dying needlessly in the streets, those pictures that we saw of war-torn countries who are ravaged by destruction, that's not the heart of God. 
God says, go and minister to them my grace. Carry it and go. The words of that song, my favorite line, we get to carry each other. We get to carry each other. It's what it's all about. I have been set free. And now I get to share that message of freedom. I have been carried. And now I get to carry you. We get to carry each other. We've had some incredible opportunities over the course of the last year to receive and to give mercy and grace. Many of us sitting in this room have been the recipients of love and kindness and financial help and a warm place to sleep when you didn't have it and a meal and a bus ticket and a ride to get to the hospital or whatever. We get to carry each other. Many of us in this room have received prayer in our darkest hours when our families are being torn apart by relationships gone bad, by tragic sickness and accidents and unintended consequences of jobs lost and financial woes, all of it. Many of us sitting here tonight have been the recipients of having people carry our burdens, sharing our load. What does it make you want to do when that happens for you? Makes you want to do it for somebody else, doesn't it? When you have felt the undeserved help from somebody else, it makes you want to do it for someone and give it away. It's an amazing, amazing experience to receive help. Many of us here love to give help, but it is so hard for us to receive it. We don't want to ask for help. And in the coming weeks, we're going to find out why. We're going to let God make us the family that he wants us to be. Would you pray with me? God, tonight I thank you for these words that you've given to us. Jesus, I thank you for how you give us the answers to the questions that each one of us wrestle with. God, I thank you that you know us and you love us exactly as we are. Father, I pray now that as we respond to your word, as we respond to your truth, God, that you would open us up and you would allow us to connect with you. Amen. You've been listening to gravitychurch.com.